All right, thanks, Coop. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Millions and millions of Americans are desperate and waiting for help. And right now, right now, the GOPQ is showing that their only position is opposition. They are delaying pandemic relief any way they can. Now, their primary target are the Democrats and President Biden. But whom are they really affecting? The starving, the jobless, the suffering. America is still down more than 10 million jobs. Another 745,000 filed first-time unemployment benefits just last week. And unemployment is going to run out in 10 days unless this stimulus bill is passed. These people still insist the election was stolen. They sit in hearings denying the reality of January 6th. There is a new investigation into communications in the day or so leading up to the January 6th terror attack between GOP cures and those who attacked us. Question, is it time to stop hoping for better from these people when they keep showing you their worst? Is this not the most perverse and complete co-opting of a party by opposition and animus that we have ever seen in this country? And yet President Biden still extends a branch. I've been talking to a lot of my Republican friends in the House and the Senate, continue to do that. So we're keeping everybody informed. Why? Mr. President, every single House Republican voted against COVID relief. I have not seen anyone act like a friend toward you or your ambitions. Certainly not Senator Mitch McConnell, as promised. Remember the old line, with friends like him, who needs enemas? More proof is what McConnell's doing right now. He's allowing conspiracy theorist Ron Johnson to pull a Ted Cruz, except instead of Dr. Seuss, they're reading the 628-page bill that's been going on since around 3 p.m. Eastern. It is just a stunt to delay It will drag out the process for days. Listen to Johnson. All I'm trying to do is make this a more deliberative process. You know, obviously shine the light on this abusive and obscene amount of money that's going to further mortgage our children's future. He knows all of that is bunk. Nobody is deliberating. They're not even there half the time. He was alone for one part of this period. And if he wanted fiscal austerity... Why did he pass that massive unpaid for middle class tax cut that gave 83 cents of every dollar of the cuts to the top one percent? He wants to help kids, he says, enabling the denial of the pandemic, pushing conspiracy theories for months that drove irrational animus, denying the reality of January 6th. Are those things good for my kids? He's complaining today people are out to destroy him. I hope not. But stunts like this don't make you popular with people who are hungry and desperate for help. Is what he's doing right now not the advertisement for ending the filibuster? Isn't it time to cut out the malignant middleman and just make deals with the people and then compel your party to keep its word? Stop trying to work with people who work for your failure while giving comfort to terrorists and just deal with the real questions about the bill. And there are a couple. How do you know, Mr. President, that we need $1.9 trillion right now, when almost a trillion from the last two relief bills still hasn't been dispersed? 
Also, you released this proposal two months ago. A lot's changed since then. Have the needs. Vaccines were just starting to go out in January. COVID cases were surging more than now. The majority of Americans support this bill. But imagine that number if you go directly to them, speak to them, clarify the need, and cancel the noise. Do a press conference. Do a lot of them. Go to a hard-hit place. Let your members and Team Toxic hear people demanding actions where they live, where they serve, and say their names in your party, too. Make them do what their constituents demand and what you promised, or let them pay the price. Healing the soul of America means avoiding those who are determined to divide us. Let's bring in the better minds. Do they agree? We have the professor, Ron Brownstein, and Jonathan Swan. Jonathan, Ron, thank you. Uh, Swan, let me start with you. Am I missing anything in what is happening right now in the Senate chamber? Is there some good faith cabal that wants to do a deal among the righties? Well, the deal that they want is about $1.3 trillion less. So, you know, Biden's been talking about bipartisanship and unity. Uh, he invited a group of the more moderate Republican senators to the White House. They had a perfectly pleasant, civilized conversation. This is going back a few weeks now. But the fact is, they were proposing $600 billion. He was proposing $1.9 trillion. No amount of golf games and dry martinis and backslaps or whatever. You know, that's $1.3 trillion. It's, it's a pretty large gap. And, and they're not on board with the amount of state and local funding that Biden wants in that bill. So the fact is, he's still rhetorically talking about bipartisanship, but they have made a very hard-headed decision that the only way they're going to get this bill through is to keep their caucus together, 50 votes, all Democrats, ignore the Republicans and barrel through. And look, there's going to be some hiccups here and there, but they're going to get this done. The hard-headed nature of this. Ron, which side do you ascribe that trait to? Uh, there's been no good making on the promise by Mitch McConnell to get votes for anything. They have not shown a step towards working with Biden on anything. What am I missing? No, you're not. I mean, look, I mean, the fact that not only did every Republican in the House vote against the COVID bill, every Republican in the House voted against the police reform bill, every Republican in the House voted against H.R. 1 this week, which is probably the most important question Democrats face other than COVID over the next two years. And all but three House Republicans voted against uh, the Equality Act for LGBTQ rights. The, the, the COVID bill poll today, there was a poll out today that 71 percent of Americans supported this bill, including nearly half of Republicans. Seventy percent of the country supports um, uh, LGBTQ rights. And yet not a single Republican uh, you know, essentially no Republicans in the chamber were, were able to vote for it. I think that is the reality, Chris, that Biden is facing. And as Jonathan noted, I mean, Biden's job, you know, Biden's positioning is that he is the voice of unity. And I don't think that's going to change. He's going to always be offering the olive branch. But in practice, they have kind of acknowledged the reality and they are moving to do this through the special budget rules that allow them to do it with 50 plus one. And that's where they are. Sooner or later, those special budget rules run out, as you point out, and they are going to have to confront the filibuster. But for for now, and maybe their next big build back better infrastructure plan, they can do it with solely Democrats. And that's probably the road, road that it's going to go. Maybe, Jonathan, this is Biden singing the swan song for traditional bipartisanship and really, really having just hunker down and get his own side together, uh, because that's the trick, right? They have 
only the ability if they are all together to get anything yeah. done. Do you believe that this will be the test case for Biden's ability to say, listen, whether it's Joe Manchin in West Virginia, Cinema, Hickenlooper, whoever the one or two are that are out there, we have to be all in or I'm going to have to call you out. Yeah, I mean, to the extent that there's bipartisan negotiations going on, it's it's Joe Biden trying to convince the Democrat from West Virginia uh, who, you know, flirts with the Republicans every few days. That's the extent of the, the negotiation and horse trading. And look, I think Biden really did believe coming in that he could be this Lyndon Johnson type of figure who could reach across the aisle and use his relationships over these decades in the Senate. But, it, you know, a lot of his staff did not believe that that was possible. And I think a month in, they've, they've definitely made the, the call well, that that's not going to happen. Well, he is that figure. Yeah. He is yes. that figure. Yes. I mean, we, but we all know yeah, no. that that is true, how he's seen. But you can't talk sense with a drunk person, you know, and they are drunk on a very specific, you know, intoxicant on the right right now. And, you know, they can't be friends with him, Jonathan. It's as simple as that. They can't. It doesn't well, work for them. They won't exist if they do it. Well, that, that's the underlying reality is that, you know, the, 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 the Congress is partitioned much more than it used to be. I mean, there are only nine House Republicans in District 1 that Biden won. There are only three Senate Republicans in states that Biden won. Forty-seven of the 50 Republicans are in states that voted for Donald Trump both times. Uh, they have a strong incentive uh, to oppose him. And, and on the other side of the ledger, Chris, I mean, by historic standards, the level of division in the de- among the Democrats is really at the low end. I mean, I go back, I, I go back to the 1981 budget deal with the boll weevils when the widespread defections supporting uh, Reagan. In the 90s, Bob Kerry and Bill Clinton screaming at each other on the phone as Clinton is trying to get the last vote uh, on his uh, budget and stimulus plan in 93. And then in 09, Ben Nelson basically telling Obama that he, uh, Democrat from Nebraska, he would support it only if he got three Republicans, uh, which required uh, Obama to make big changes, uh, you know, cut back the the stimulus plan to this day. The Democrats believe that part of the reason 2010 was so tough was because it was too small. So against all of that, what Manchin and Sinema and others are doing is really changes at the edges. And I do think they may be able to, to maintain that unity through another reconciliation package on infrastructure, maybe give Manchin more clean coal spending that would make sense. But ultimately, they are going to face the big issue of democratic unity is going to be will Manchin and Cinema and maybe some others allow them to end the filibuster mm. sometime this fall because without that basically everything else they ran on democracy reform voting rights gun control immigration yeah. uh, lgbtq yeah. rights uh, you name it pretty much everything else right. is going to be solved by Mitch McConnell and that is where the question of democratic unity is really going to come to a head Jonathan that's why I call him the professor Man, he just puts it on you. It just comes flying out of him. Uh, At the end of the day, look, don't all the tea leaves just show. You can avoid it if you want, if you don't like the optics, but the filibuster's got to go. Their only position is opposition. They want to kill Biden times 10 from what they did with Obama. That's their only strategy. And isn't the key for him being able to show, hey, look at the economy at the midterms. Look at the economy. Look at the economy. Remember, they wouldn't work with me. Look at the economy. I get the credit. Isn't that the key for him in finding out how to make that happen, which has to include getting rid of the filibuster? Well, Chris, a lot of people around Biden agree with you 100 percent on that point. They, they, view, they believe that the voters are not going to penalize them on process. They don't care about process. They care about checks in the pocket, money, the economy. The problem is Joe Manchin has said 
in the most unequivocal terms that he's not going to get rid of the filibuster. But the question I have, Chris, is once Pelosi's going to start passing these bills, right, she's going to pass these these bills that Democrats really care about. Mm-hmm. Voting rights, Ron's talks about them. Gun HR control. one is the biggest it, bill yeah. for the promises that they have. It's also exactly. their own demise, by the way. If they don't get it's that done, demise. legislation will sweep across this country that will cut their numbers by a significant amount. Continue. Last point to you, Jonathan. So, so, so the, the bills pile up. Schumer wants them done, and especially he's potentially facing a left-wing challenger. Mm-hmm. So with all that pressure, what does Joe Manchin do? That pressure's going to potentially change the calculus. I don't know. I'm not going to say he's going to go back on his word, but boy, you know, you wouldn't be too sure that he would be able to withstand that pressure. It's going to be extreme. Guys, thank you very much. I got to jump. We'll have you back. Ron Brownstein, Jonathan Swan, appreciate the value added. So big investigative question about January 6th. Did the Capitol rioters get help from the inside. You heard member of Congress, Mickey Sherrill said, I saw people giving tours. Now federal investigators are actively examining communications. Why did the Senate stay open today, by the way, with the House shut down over the threat of new violence? Is one chamber kowtowing to terrorists? Are they on the same page? Senator, former prosecutor, Amy Klobuchar, next. Federal law enforcement is now looking into communications between members of Congress and the mob that attacked the U.S. Capitol in an act of domestic terror, according to a U.S. official briefed on the matter. There is no sign uh, of any of this reaching a probable cause criminal threshold, but it's early. And the question is, does it show that the investigation has shifted into whom rioters were working and planning with before the insurrection? Tonight, we have a senator who has been digging into the events uh, and before January 6th. Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar, welcome back. Good to have you, Senator. Thank you, Chris. Are we aware of whom the lawmakers are that are of interest in this investigation? No, there's been rumors, but as a former prosecutor, you wait for the evidence. And I think one of the things we learned from Director Ray this week at the Judiciary Committee is there's an extensive investigation, hundreds of thousands of tips, over 200 people charged this time. And obviously they need to look at not just who was there, but who planned it and who was involved in it. So I don't know where that will lead, Chris, uh, but it has to be able to uh, be able to get to justice. We've got to put an attorney general in, uh, and Merrick Garland has committed to taking on these cases in a big way. And then meanwhile, uh, there may be ethics issues in front of the ethics uh, committees for both the House and Senate. Well, that is the way this should be handled. Hmm? Seven Senate Democrats want an ethics investigation reportedly into Hawley and Cruz for inciting riot. Do you agree? Will it happen? Um, I... I don't know what the Ethics Committee does because they do it in secret. Uh, But I think anything that leads you to think someone is coordinating with these insurrectionists, it should be investigated. I just don't know the facts. And what I do know for sure 
is that somehow this was coordinated. We know that already. There was a recent complaint in Washington State where the Justice Department said for the first time when prosecuting one of the leaders of the Proud Boys that this was a coordinated attack. Uh, through the committee hearings that I've chaired with Senator Peters and Senator Portman and Blunt, uh, repeatedly every law enforcement leader has said that this was coordinated and planned. Well, that means it's planned on the ground, but it also means and begs the question, who is funding them, who is coordinating with them, and they must get to the bottom of it. You know, listening to the hearings um, and then doing an analysis of them, Phil Mudd, who is a uh, counterterrorism expert here at CNN now, put a question in my head that I can't figure out the answer to, but I do think it's important. Um, January 5th, they had the planning meeting. The White House was supposed to be at that meeting. Do you know if they had representation at that planning meeting on January 5th for how to deal with the next day and what they said was needed? I don't know if the White House had people there, but what I do know is that there was multiple reports going into this. The Capitol Police themselves on January 3rd said uh, that there were tens of thousands of people that were going to descend on the mall. Uh, there was an FBI report of raw intelligence the night before January 5th from the Norfolk office, which made it very clear that they had reports that people were going to go to war, that they were going to go after Congress. The New York City uh, Police Department uh, gave intelligence in December uh, that they were concerned about this date. And so one of the questions we have kept asking is why didn't this get to the right people uh, so they were better prepared? And of course, three people, leaders in law enforcement, have resigned over this, and we now have a new sergeant in arms. You can't have a police chief leading into an event uh, that is not able to get the National Guard as reinforcement. And the day of the event, we now know uh, that he was trying to call the sergeant in arms, and they were, of course, trying to protect the members completely complete chaos. And then the final, just worst fact, is that for three hours, the head of the D.C. National Guard had to wait to get the authority while we were all watching on TV. These insurrectionists breached the police line, break the glass. The Defense Department still didn't give authority. Mm. So there's plenty of blame to go around. My focus is not really that as much as how do we fix it going forward right. so we have a better structure, so the intelligence gets to the right people, and so that we have the ability to get the guard there when they need them. Right. And just to be clear, there's now more reporting uh, that makes it a matter of fact that the former president says he asked for 10,000 National Guard. He was going to make that happen. There is no proof of that. And now um, Chief uh, Joint Chief of Ch Staff Head Milley says... Uh, he never heard anything like that, yeah. and he would well, have. So <laughs> Remember, just, what we, we know is that the president was literally refused to right. put out tweets telling the rioters to get out of there and instead commended them. Right. Uh, now, on the relief bill, uh, my suggestion at the top of the show is why even pretend that you can work with people who are working for your destruction and giving comfort to terrorists? They don't want to work with you. They want to get rid of you as soon as possible. Use reconciliation. Get rid of the filibuster and do what you guys promised to do. Well, I favor getting rid of the filibuster. I think we have too much we have to do for this country. And as I was listening to you, I thought to myself, so what Joe Biden pledged here uh, was to represent all of America 
Democrats, people who voted for him, Republicans that voted for him, of which many did, and Republicans who didn't vote for him. And if you're going to do that, and if that is your guiding light, well, then you have to get something done on the pandemic. You've got to get the money out for distribution. He's now up to over 70% more of vaccines getting distributed than the first week that he came in office and is now pledged to get enough available vaccines for every single adult in America by May. That's extraordinary. But to do that, you need funding. And so I look at it this way. He wants to work with Republicans. I have a good track record of working across the aisle and considering continuing to do it. And you can do it on certain things, but when it comes to this pandemic right now, you can't mess around. You've got to get the funding out there and you've got to make sure our economy is strong so that when the moment comes that we are ready to bounce back, we are there ready full throttle to do it and we're not on our heels in a deep recession. Right, oh, look, Ron Johnson is proving right now uh, where their heads are at. His only position is opposition. The, he says this is to be more deliberative. Nobody's debating right now. He's just running a stunt. This is who they are. And here's the forecast forward on it. You can do this with reconcil- reconciliation. You probably won't be able to do H.R. 1 through reconciliation. And that bill is arguably the biggest pledge that your party made to its constituents. If you don't pass that bill, there is a good chance there'll be about 250 laws across this country on the state level that makes it harder for folks to vote. Exactly, Chris. And one of the things that happened after we won Georgia, after the people of Georgia decided we want change, is that I took over the gavel of the Rules Committee. That is where that bill is headed. For the very first time, we're going to be able to have a hearing, and Senator Schumer is on that committee with me. Uh, He is a big proponent of this bill. And then even if it's a 50-50 split vote, he is able to then bring it to the floor of the United States Senate. And this is what this party has done. They lost the national election. Okay. When parties lose elections, what do they usually do? They reflect, they look at what policies they can do, bring forth to reach out to people, what they need to do to best message their policies. Do you know what these guys are doing right now? They're doubling down at CPAC, and they are, in fact, right now saying, you know what, we can't win with the existing electorate, so why don't we disenfranchise people, allow less people to vote? It's a raw abuse of political power with these over 200 bills that are being introduced in states across the country to limit voters. Voters aren't going to have it. They voted in droves in this pandemic, even in the middle of the biggest public health crisis that we have seen in decades. They came out in droves. And so that's why H.R. 1 is so important. It's about the long-term problems with gerrymandering and campaign financing, but it is also about making it easier for people to vote, not harder. And that's why it has to be such a major priority. And we are having our hearing on March 24th, and that that bill is going to the floor. The question is, what happens once it gets there? Senator Amy Klobuchar. Bashar, thank you very much. You're always welcome here to argue the case to the American people. Okay. Thank you, Chris Cuomo. Be well. We're getting closer to midnight. I don't think that uh, the Messiah is going to come for the QAnon kooks, uh, which is what they were waiting on today, which is why half of our House of, uh, half of our Congress is closed today out of fear of threat from these kooks. One of the most recognizable faces of the insurrection, this cat, is now talking. Now, I get it. I don't want to hear from him. It is instructive in a way. I will explain why you want to hear what he says next. Too many in Donald Trump's party 
want to con you into thinking that January 6th was something other than what we all witnessed together. This didn't seem as like an armed insurrection to me. This is not about security at this point. This is about political theater. Now, I know you think that is worthless piffle that we should forget. Let me make the case as to why you must expose and out absurd lying. All right. Ignoring these guys is a mistake. Trump being gone was not a cure all. We are being poisoned by what and who remains. It's as real right now as the military guard standing guard in this nation's capital as we speak. You can't let a cruise and co-conspirators go, or you will see more metastasizing of the cancer of misinformation, creating tumors like this guy in the body politic, Jacob Chansley. Stupid antics, outfits, but still being led to believe that he must be all in for Trump. Listen. And I honestly believed uh, and still believe that he cares about uh, the Constitution, that he cares about the American people. But you don't regret the loyalty to Donald Trump? No. Remember, his lawyer was on the show here early on. I brought him on to make the case that guys like Chansley were the Democrats' best bet, or anybody with an open mind, for saying that Trump was the problem with the insurrection. His lawyer said that he was like part of a cult with Trump. Okay. But in a court filing today, his lawyers argued that he wasn't leading anyone anywhere, despite shot after shot of him at the head of the mob. Tough to miss. That flagpole uh, doesn't constitute a weapon, they say. Take a look at it. It's a six foot spear. And by the way, you wouldn't want to be beaten with it. I promise you that. Now, they really think that because Trump and co told them to go to war for them, that it made what he did Okay, that's what he believes. He doesn't think it was an insurrection. He doesn't even believe that what he did was an attack. My actions were not an attack on this country. That is incorrect. My actions on January 6th, how would I describe them? Well, I sang a song, and that's a part of shamanism. It's about um, creating positive vibrations in a sacred chamber. I also stop people from stealing and vandalizing that sacred space, the Senate. Okay, I actually stopped somebody from stealing muffins out of the out of the break room. I think he's going to have problems, but that's not the point. He's not an aberration. You can't just be like, why even listen to him? Because there are a ton of them. You remember the guy who broke into Pelosi's office, put his feet up on the desk before stealing from the speaker and then gave all these internets, these uh, interviews? Richard Barnett. He screamed at a judge today during a hearing because he can't understand why he's still behind bars. No, he has not been found to be mentally ill. This is a mentality that they have. They don't believe that there are any heirs of their ways. Why should they? There's an entire Trump party telling them, and who knows how many like them, you are right to believe the things that you do, even though they are fundamentally wrong. Ask experts in extremism. Ask the men and women who keep us safe. Ask yourself, if we don't call out the people peddling the BS and drown it out with better ideas and facts. Do you really think we won't see more violence in the name of this viral vitriol? Here's a hint as to the answer. The House of Representatives shut down today because of a credible threat from cats like that. Now,
The Republican governor of Texas is also part of this. He is making trouble for reason when it comes to COVID. He believes that migrants are responsible for the spread of the virus, that Biden is responsible for the spread of the virus. This is the message he's putting out. We must expose it and oppose it. And we will next with facts. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, an exhibit of someone who has to be given the spotlight for scrutiny because he is peddling trumpery. First, it was blaming the Green New Deal for the power collapse in a state, even though it mostly uses non-renewable energy. That's a fact. And now, without evidence, he wants to blame Biden and immigrants for the spread of COVID in Texas. His administration has been releasing in South Texas uh, immigrants who came across the border that they uh, refused to test. It turned out there were more than 100 of them who had COVID. The Biden administration must stop importing COVID uh, into our country. That is a Neanderthal-type approach uh, to dealing with the COVID situation. Now, there is a downside to the Biden administration rolling back Trump's programs that were very restrictive uh, and maybe even not legally so, at the border. However, the idea that migrants pose more of a risk than COVID, which has killed more than 500,000 of us, including nearly 45,000 Texans in less than a year? Come on. A senior Homeland Security official tells CNN Abbott has been stalling efforts by the Biden administration to provide federal funds that would go toward COVID tests for migrants released from custody. If you're afraid that they have the virus, why wouldn't you want them tested? The FEMA funds are already in place to be sent to the border communities, but the state has to approve it. Why won't you, Governor Abbott? Let's not forget. The nation's top scientists have repeatedly warned not to ease up on safety restrictions right now, especially masks, because the contagious variants are spreading. And this is the chance for us to get ahead of the variants with the vaccine. Texas, fact, known to have all four known variants at scale in America active there. And it is home to half of the top 20 counties when it comes to cases. Vaccinations will take time. If the governor wants a boogeyman, look in the mirror. With less than 8% of the state vaccinated, how many lives, how many lives in order to seem like you're doing the right thing about opening up? No masks, opening too soon, burned you once. Will you make it twice? Apparently so. I want to bring in Dr. Ashish Jha. Good to see you, Doc. Uh, Let's test the theory of Governor Abbott. You know, it's those migrants. Uh, they're full of COVID. You stop them, stop the virus. That's our biggest threat. That's why I won't test them. So, Chris, thanks for having me on. I really don't know what to say about that migrant theory. It's obviously not, like, even remotely a major contributor to infections in, uh, of COVID in Texas. Uh, those infections have been high. They're uh, spread across the state. This is not this is a distraction. This is not the real issue. All right. Tougher one uh, because it plays well, Texas, but everywhere. Um, Cases are on the way down. Things are moving the right way. Vaccines coming up. You just said it yourself. President Biden may will have it for everybody. Get the masks off. Let's get open up now. We can't take another day of economic pain. Why is that not right? The right work. 
Yeah, so here's why, right? Right now, especially in a place like Texas where vaccinations are not going super well, uh, um, a large chunk of their high-risk population hasn't been vaccinated yet. You let go of the mass, you open things up, you're going to see a spike in cases. That's happened over and over again. And you're going to see a lot of people get infected and die. And that's horrible at any moment. But when we're this close to being able to vaccinate high-risk people, I think it's irresponsible. I would not recommend it. His theory is this. Listen to this shot. The last spike occurred during Christmas and New Year's at a time when people were not transmitting it when they went to restaurants or businesses. The lead area of transmission at the time was in the home setting where people were not wearing masks in the first place and no one has ever mandated wearing masks in the home setting. Response. Yeah, so there is clearly some spreading that happens at the home setting too. He's right about that. But we also know that there's a lot of spreading happening in restaurants and bars and other places. So uh, the, the, his point is, if you can't stop one, you shouldn't try to stop the other. I don't know if I buy that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things we can do to slow this down. And again, we're talking about a few more weeks. I, don't, I just don't see why we want to risk people's lives with restaurants and bars opening up. Now, I want to try something new called Where We Could Be. If things are done right and the numbers are met on the federal side and it gets into arms and the variants are kept at bay, let's first look at spring. Where could we be in the spring? Yeah, so I think the next month, six weeks is the part that's probably the most fuzzy. But as we get into spring, uh, things will start getting better, Chris. I, I really do see cases coming way down, hospitalizations way down and things starting to open up. And let's see what that looks like in summer. What are we doing this summer? You know, summer, uh, I think the summer of 2021 is going to look a lot more like summer of 2019 than it did the summer of 2020. Backyard barbecues, gatherings, some indoor dining gets much, much safer. It starts to feel not quite 100% normal, but like a pretty close to a normal summer. And then fall, winter. Yeah, so this, there's a little bit of a wild card here. I expect the fall to begin really strong. I expect September, October to be good months, kids back in school, things generally doing okay. But this is a seasonal virus, and I do expect a bump in cases in November, December, maybe January. Uh, we'll see. It'll depend on how many people are vaccinated. depends on how good our testing is. All that stuff will help us get through those months. But I would not be surprised if we see a bump in cases at the, during that time. I'll tell you what, you get my kids back in school full time and let's start healing their head and their heart from what this displacement did. I give up everything else. Dr. Ashish Jha, thank you very much. Appreciate you. Uh, we got to start thinking about what our incentive is to do this instead of this. You know, don't that will be wrong. That will be wrong. We have to do this. Let's talk about why, what the upside is. All right. Now, the country needs all of our best voices that people want to listen to to help stop this spread. This is a pivotal time to make sure people want to get the vaccine, that they keep their mask on, and we do what we have to right now. That's where basketball great friend of show Kareem Abdul-Jabbar comes in. He is a social justice warrior, and he is doing whatever he can to help counter hesitancy in the black community to get the vaccine. He has an interesting take on what he thinks might help. Next. How do we deal with this tough situation? Minority communities are much more likely to get COVID, much more likely to be hospitalized, much more likely to die, but less likely to want the vaccine. Let's bring in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's great to see you in primetime, brother. Hi, how are you, Chris? What's been going on? (sighs) Plenty. 
Uh, so what do you believe we can do to help communities trust to take the vaccine? Well, we have to gain the trust of minority communities by showing them that the vaccine is effective and that it's uh, in their best interest to take the vaccine. You know, the problem uh, in times past were, was that uh, no one wanted to give them the latest treatment. So uh, the experiment that everyone re relates to, the Tuskegee experiment, withheld treatment for uh, venereal disease. And they just observed people with it and until they died. Right. Uh, that was a, a, a situation where something was withheld. Uh, now that uh, people want to extend the, the uh, cutting edge medicine and the treatment to people of color, they, they're suspicious of that. So we have to gain their, their trust and uh, go through all of the things that we need to go through to uh, make sure that uh, their trust is, is well-founded. Got to work that, it like a campaign. Got to work it like yeah, a campaign, selling that Johnson & Johnson is just as good. One shot is better than two, obviously. Fight the facts. But getting to that community, you wrote a really interesting op-ed about how to do that. Um, and I don't think some people took it the right way. Uh, they're saying, oh, Kareem wants all the basketball players to get the vaccine first. That's so wrong. That's not what you're saying in the op-ed. You're talking about incentivizing people to see their heroes believing it's safe. A lot of people in minority communities respect the, the athletes that go out there and uh, uh, take their word on things of this nature. So, we, you know, we, we have to uh, make that connection for them and, and show them, you know, how many uh, of their favorite athletes and uh, some of their celebrities. I, I saw Dolly Parton a couple of days yeah. ago. You know, there are a lot of people that are, are stepping up and, and that, that that's making a difference. So, you know, any time that that happens, it's, uh, it, it's making it possible for more people to, to get the vaccination that they need and you know, help us uh, beat, beat this COVID-19 thing down. You are a social justice warrior. Uh, you're developing it as a brand. You sent me stuff. Thank you very much. I was shocked that Don Lemon actually gave it to me because he's a thief and he usually <laughs> takes all the good swag, but he shared it and thank you very much. Um, you are looking at a lot of different ways to improve society. Voter fraud, suppression efforts is what you call the real voter fraud. And now we have this existential battle. If these 250 plus laws across the states are put into place, you will have a rollback of what we just saw in this election and quick. What is your big concern? What do you see as the fix? Well, I, my big concern is the fact that the, the Republicans are pursuing this with, with such, uh, you know, intense fervor. You know, it, it's none of the uh, issues that they bring up, you know, voter fraud or uh, uh, people that are using uh, uh, crooked machines. None of, none of these are, are reality. You know, the, the Republicans remind me of zombies uh, chasing a Jeep. You know, we've, we've got to keep our foot on the pedal till we get to the finish line and, and pass laws that uh, inhibit this uh, voter suppression. We, we've got to do that. Now, you um, go ahead. Finish your point, Kareem, please. No, if we can't do that, uh, we're not going to have a real democracy. If everybody wants uh, the American democracy to look like it did in the 18th century, uh, no, uh, you know, it's not like it was when the fa founding fathers were around, but we will have a, a real 
democracy where people uh, respect lo the laws and uh, are able to, to live with one another. That, that, that's what we're supposed to be working toward. And that's what your shirt is about. Uh, make a friend that Absolutely. doesn't look like you. You might just change the world. Now, it is a beautiful reference, first of all, to a beautiful idea, but also to when you were not just friends with Bruce Lee, you were in one of his movies. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of yours. Everybody is uh, in so many different generations of this country now. And I was watching a fight <laughs> and we were watching this guy get his front leg attacked. And this buddy of mine randomly said, just like Bruce did to Kareem, chopping him down by the front <laughs> leg. Because <laughs> when you fought in that famous scene with Bruce Lee, who was, of course, your friend, uh, it was such an amazing message of two different genres of greatness coming together. Uh, thank you for the swag. Thank you for the message, Kareem. Always a pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. You know, and anybody who wants a shirt can go to KareemAbdulJabbar.com. And uh, this is uh, kind of memorializes him. He would have been 80 this year. Yep. So, uh, the idea lives thank you on. For, uh, oh, please. Thank always you for, a pleasure. For I love what you're him. about, Kareem. I love what you're about. You're fighting the good fight. You're always welcome here. God bless and be well. Thank you very much, Chris. All right. We'll be right back. Thank you for watching. It's time for the big show, CNN Tonight with the big star, D. Lemon. You saw my message on Kareem's shirt, right? I did. I said, Mr. Jabbar. Make a friend with someone who doesn't, who look, doesn't like look like you. Like you might just change the world. Here's the problem with that shirt, though. As it applies to us, I am so much bigger than you that I should be Kareem. Oh. But I am the fighter, so I am also Bruce. So you're saying you're fatter than you're admitting you're fat now? I am taller and more large. Mm. You are, okay. But the idea is beautiful <laughs> and real. No, it's true. And I, you know, as I talk about it, I write about it in my new book. But I've been saying that to you forever. Ever since we have been on the air together, ever since we've been friends, I said the world would be a better place if people make friends with people who don't look like them. And that's, look, I was waiting all day. Are we working overnights tonight? I thought, because... I don't think so. We usually work till like five, six in the morning when there's an inauguration or something. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you scared me there for a second. <laughs> COVID so, brain. Today is March 4th. See, I thought, so we're not doing the long haul shift? That no, we this will not do? be a 20 coffee night and oh. uh, nine brain juices. So the reason I went there, it's not a total non sequitur, is because if people, the people who believe in that crazy conspiracy stuff and that Trump is going to be inaugurated again on March 4th, which is today, day's not over which is today, if they found a friend who did not look like them, then perhaps they would have a better understanding of America and the world and, and exactly what this grand experiment um, America is, right? A more perfect right. union, not a perfect union, not a, not a union that looks back on uh, the, the better days when one group was a preeminent voice and it was the 1950s and leave it to Beaver and what have you, but on the, the grand experiment that we continue to make this a more perfect union. And what does that mean? That means inclusion, not exclusion. You know, some people are trying to trip up the idea of, oh man, you said you want unity, but now he won't work with the Republicans. Oh, they're, come on. They're leaving out the key component, good will. I had a guy on my radio show today. He called in. He said, my grandfather was a huge bigot. He was buried with his KKK cloak and his mother had all these crazy ideas and all this. And then when he was in the service, he met people of different colors, different creeds. 
And he would say things, and he had one friend in particular who would say to him, you messed up. You're not supposed to say that. That's mm-hmm. a mistake. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know it because he was ignorant. And once he was around different people and he had good will, he was open to being wrong. He was open to new information. He changed. Yeah. And but- that's the key. You can't work with people who don't have goodwill. Well, and that's the case on the right. Well, it, it is, but it's also a case of you have to live in reality. You have to, you can't work with people who don't live in reality. You can't work with people who believe in conspiracy theories. If you are telling me, look, when, you know, I'm, I'm going to drive down the street and the car is going to take off and fly, and you're like, hey, that's never, that's not going to I must to be driving. <laughs> well, you understand what I'm saying. So you I do. Can't really, you can't really do that. And, but also... It, yes, there has to be goodwill. There has to be reality. But you also have to understand you, ha- you have to evolve and you have to be open to change. And that means not being afraid. Every, nothing stays the same. No, the, the America is never going to be what it was yesterday. It's not going to be what it was the day before. And it wasn't what it was in the second that I just made these comments. It is always going to change. That is a whole idea of evolution. And that is the whole idea, if you're a Christian, of what the teachings of God tell you, is that things change. The world progresses. And so it's never going to be the same. It's not going to be the, the same as the Stone Age. It's not going to be the time, um, same as the time when Jesus walked the earth, if that's what your belief is. So it's always going to change. So you cannot be afraid. So you have to be able to live in, in reality um, and not be afraid, not in fear. And as you said... You've got to have goodwill. And if you did all of that and found a friend who didn't look like you, I'm telling you, your whole perspective and America would change. We wouldn't be dealing with For this. For Christians, BA. it should be easier if it's not just bio-Christian, you know, which is where you say you are. You know, because the two rules are very simple. Love mercy and love one another the way I loved you and do it uh, for the love of me and my name is truth. And you should be uh, three quarters of the way there. You know, I was walking by this place by your house uh, the other night uh, out east and... And this guy was outside and he says, as I walk by, nothing like when we're when we were like close to each other as I was going to my truck. But then once I'm by, he's like, yeah, 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 you eat babies. And I said, no, I just drink the blood. And literally he starts talking to these two guys like, you know, see, I was right. And those people, that's not just about goodwill. That's about you don't have to find a friend who looks different. You have to find a friend who thinks different because yeah. they really believe crazy stuff. The problem yeah. I don't want to make is stop ignoring the people who are feeding them the BS as if that'll make it go away. No, you cannot let the radicalization process happen under your nose. you got to out yeah. it. You, and, yes. And correct it. But you have to be you have to be judicious about what you out because you don't want to necessarily platform True. ignorance. It's not easy. Conspiracy theories. But we got to take it seriously. Yes. And say it because I got to go. I love you, D. Lemon. Thank you, brother. Love you as well. Talk to you later. This- Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. 
Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.